A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored in memory of Rabbi Kassiel Yehuda ben Reb Chaim Nossen Zechreinah Levracha, born in Siget and after the war settled in Borough Park, and davened in the Siget Shul, led by the Bayrach Moshe Zatzal, followed by his son, Reb Zalman Leib Shlita, the Karan Satmar Rebbe. And this um, episode, and really a mini-series, which will be about the history of the Jewish community in the town of Siget. And it was, it's a long in the making, and there was the recent yard site of the Satmar Rav this past week, and it's the town of his birth, and... I just want to talk about its history and personalities um, of this town of Siget. And I've always wanted to delve into the story of Siget, and I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to do so. Um, it is, on one hand, the birthplace of the Satmarov, and, of course, the whole Teitelbaum dynasty, and it's so associated with that name, it's almost synonymous. The Satmarov, the Teitelbaums, the Gdushyantiv, the Atzichayim, the Yetavlev, and even earlier... And and on one hand, that they're associated with Siget. And on the other hand, a person like Eli Wiesel, believe it or not, also grew up there. So one of the most famous Holocaust survivors of all time, and definitely after the war, not religious anymore, though he grew up in a very Hasidic home before the war in Siget. So it, I was always like fascinated by that. Of course, they're very different ages, the Satmarov and Eli Wiesel, about 40 years apart. But... Um, but they both grew up in the same town. So how did the same town produce people who were so different? Now, I've always been fascinated by it. On one hand, it was it's at the end of the Jewish world. It's not supposed to be significant. It's a relatively new community. It doesn't have a long history. Um, it was small, a very small community until really recently, until the mid to late 1800s, at the end of the Jewish world, tucked away in the Marmarush region, away from all the centers of Jewish life, in theory, no one should have ever heard of this place. And yet, on the other hand, Siget is very, very prominent. It rose in size and prominence. It was the district capital of, of the Marmarish district in Transylvania. And so many famous personalities either grew up there or lived there or served there in some capacity. So it achieved this renown in, in, as one of the more important Jewish communities, uh, towns pre-war and has a history and a legacy until today. If nothing else, Satmer today, of course, traces directly there in two obvious ways. 
The Satmarov grew up there, which I just mentioned. He was born there, got married there, and and uh, and the Satmarov, who had no, unfortunately, had no living descendants. Um, his, tragically, his daughters uh, predeceased him. Um, so when he passed away in 1979, um, the succession went to his nephew, Reb Moshe, titled the Bayrach Moshe, who was of course Sigit. He was the 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 son of the Sigit Arav, and he had the Sigit Ashtibel in Bara Park. So I think it would be a very interesting journey to explore the story and personalities of this very special and historic town of Sigit. Today it's in Romania, and I not many trips go to Romania. I want to like give another push to uh, for trips to go to Romania. There's lots to see there. It's a very large and rich uh, in Jewish history. One can either stick to the north where Satmar and Sigit are and go to Hungary as well. And in better times, hopefully when there's no more war anymore, then we can cross the border into Ukraine from there and go to Chust or Chist, as they say. And Munkac is right across the border in Ukraine also. That whole region. Or further south, there's loads of Jewish history in the rest of Romania as well. So Romania definitely should be on more trips. Um, it reminds me of a story from one of my trips when we were in Poland. We had just finished the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery, and we were about like, I don't know, 20 different Rebbes there. We were by the, the Radomska Rebbe, the Novominska Rebbe, and the Radzina Rebbe, and the, and the Slonima Rebbe, and the Mazitz Rebbe, and the Amshinova Rebbe, and all these big, huge Polish Rebbes. We were leaving the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery. We were on our way out of Warsaw. We are going to go to Ger, to go to the Chidush Yerim, the Svasemes, and then we are going to head to Lublin. We were going to, planning on being by the Chais of Lublin, and we were going to end the day in Lezhensk by the Rebbe of Meilich, the Neimeli Melech. And as we are walking out of the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery to do all that, I was asked by a participant on the trip, tell me something, do you do Hasidic-themed trips as well? So I said to him, well, what do you call this trip? So he said, no, 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 I mean real Hasidus. You know, like Sigit and Satmer. So, you know, we have to do that more. We have to get to Romania and do the real Hasidus of Sigit and Satmer more than, you know, I guess the not as real places such as the Rebbe of Meilich and Lezhensk. Either way, so it's in Romania today, but it gets confusing because sometimes it was in Hungary. It's right near the... The Hungary border, it's right near Ukraine, it's right north of, of, of Romania. Um, it's an area that has been known throughout history as Transylvania, and it's in between Romania and Hungary and bordering Ukraine. It's in the Austro-Hungarian Empire for a long time, and there's all these changing borders. Sometimes that general region is sometimes called the Carpato-Rus, Carpathian Rus, um, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, and um, and and that's that's the various different names you might hear. You know, it's the Marmarush district. That's where Sigit is. It's it was in Hungary. It was in Romania. It's Transylvania. It's near Ukraine. It was in Ukraine. It's in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The town itself, believe it or not, never moved. It's just that the borders changed, and it's such a small, out of the way place with a disproportionate number of famous people who originated from there. So it's um it's I think today it's called Sigeto Marmate, but it the Jews always call it Siget. It was at one point called Marmarush Siget. Um and it was a very, very strong center of first Orthodox Jewish life, and then later on Hasidic Jewish life that came later, and from the late eighteenth century. So there were 
Jews living in the area of Transylvania back in the 16th century, but in Sigit, there were no Jews living there until the mid-1700s, believe it or not. It's one of the newest Jewish communities in the entire world. There were Jews living in New York for more than 100 years before the first Jews settled in Sigit. So I always find that ironic, that, you know, that uh, you know, Sigit is a throwback to the Altaheim when Jews were living actually in New York. The New York Jewish community was well established for more than a century before the first Jews ever settled in Sigit. In 1728, the census found that there were four Jews living in Sigit. Um, in the 1740s, the first minion was started. Um, there were there were ten families by 1746. In 1787, there was 142 Jews. And then following the partitions of Poland at the end of the 18th century, so then more there's a migration south from Galicia, and uh, there's more Jews living there in the late 18, late 17, early 1800s. The first shul is built in Siget in 1807. So again, if we would compare that to the United States, there were literally tens of shuls built in uh, in New York and Philadelphia and in in. In, in other places, in Charleston, in, in, in many other places in, 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 in America by 1807. And here the first shul in Sigit's history is built in 1807. That's 130 years before the war. So it's a very, very new community. In 1828, there's uh, 46 Jewish families, which was about 10% of the population. And then it starts to boom in the second half of the 19th century. In, by 1891, there were 5,000 Jews living there. That's already a very, very substantial, it's a large Jewish population that's not even like a little shtetl anymore. Um, so in the second half of the 1800s is when there's this big boom, a lot of migration, it rises in prominence. They're about a third of the city population. In 1910, there was nearly 8,000 Jews living there, which is 34% of the population. And in 1930, there was almost 11,000 Jews living there. So it was a very, very large city, especially for Romania. It's probably one of the largest Jewish communities in the area. Um, and in the 1941, they are, again, over 10,000 Jews living there, and they are 39%. It's uh, almost 40% of the population. That means, you know, nearing half of the city's population and Siget had the highest proportion of Jews of any Hungarian town. And incredibly enough, even at this late stage in the 1930s, most of them were still Orthodox, So, uh, which is fascinating because despite the move towards secularization across the Austro-Hungarian Empire, including in Transylvania, Siget itself remained a mostly Orthodox community even after the whole Tailung and the split with the Neolog in the 1870s, um, it, it remained a very strong Orthodox community. So that's a big testament to the strength of tradition in Sigit's history. There were some very prominent families um, in, 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 in the Sigit Jewish community through generations, and they were leaders in the community, and they, as families, even though they were wealthy, upstanding families, which very often they were the first ones to secularize. In Sigit's case, they actually stayed Orthodox, and that it might have had a very uh, positive impact on the rest of the community that it maintained its uh, that it remained somewhat traditional. That it remained the Kahanas, the Freunds, um, and other leading wealthy families remained Orthodox despite their wealth and social standing, which was rather unique. And then. Uh, 
that's the, that's in the Austro-Hungarian Empire in in the uh, uh, until the until the Great War until World War One, and after um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire collapsed uh, in at the end of the war, at the end of World War One. So there's this division of Eastern Europe and the Treaty of Trianon. I never, I've always read it. I've never pronounced it. I don't think ever. Um, um, divided Transylvania in half. The area south of the Tisha River, which included Siget, was became part of Romania, and the area north became part of Czechoslovakia. So half of Transylvania ends up in Romania, and the Romanian government was quite anti-Semitic, and there was growing anti-Semitism, and it was an oppressive atmosphere. Um, and then in 1941, the Romanian government deported uh, a lot of uh, Jews who were not Romanian citizens um, to uh, who had fled from Hungary. And they, I'm sorry, by then it was Hung- Hungary. I'm sorry, by, by 1941 it was it was um, it was Hungary again. So they, they many 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 non-citizens, many uh, Polish citizens or or people who weren't Hungarian or Romanian, I guess, citizens were deported. Um, many of them for, were deported from Siget to Kamenitz Podolski, where they were uh, killed by the Nazis and their collaborators in the summer of 1941. So Hungary gets it from Romania in 1940, um, and uh, and in the with the Nazi invasion of Hungary in 19 in the March 1944. So now Siget's Jews uh, fall under Nazi uh, occupation, which they had been safe from. Safe, relatively safe. They're under the anti-Semitic Hungarian government from 1940 to 1944, but now they're under direct Nazi occupation. And like the rest of the Jews from the area, they're ordered into a ghetto in April. And then in early, uh, and there's two separate ghettos really in in Siget, and um, there were neighborhoods of the city which had originally been poorer neighborhoods of Siget, and the ghetto was very crowded. There was about 20 people in every room. And the Nazis and their Hungarian collaborators rounded up the Jews of the small rural communities in the area of Siget, and they stuffed them into the Siget ghetto. So the population of the ghetto ended up being close to 13,000 Jews. And then the ghetto was liquidated, and the Jews were transported, deported to Auschwitz in four transports between May 16th and May 22nd, 1944, where almost the entire Jewish community, storied and important uh, historic Jewish community of Siget, almost all of them were wiped out and killed in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. In After the war, there were survivors who returned to Siget, and Jews in general from Marmarush gravitated to Siget. They came to the larger towns where there's still a community. So that by 1947, incredibly enough, there were well over 2,000 Jews living in Siget once again, and they reestablished the community. They reopened the shul. It wasn't just survivors from Siget, but a considerable numbers of Jews who settled from there from other parts of Romania, where it was in back in Romania after the war. So the the community was reestablished, but because of communism and immigration and all that, so the community d- dwindled over time, and by the 1970s, it was, I think, only a couple of hundred Jewish residents, and then by the 1990s, it was even less, and today, maybe there's just a couple of Jews left in Siget. But if we go back um, 
to the 18th century, when there's just a couple of Jews living there, it was a relatively small Jewish population, and this is the 18th century, the 1700s is the post-Sabbatian era, it seems that some of those few Jews who were living in Siget were actually followers of Shabzai Tzvi. So some of the original Jewish settlers in Siget were, were Sabbatians, and even more so of the 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 uh, I don't know, successor, the... Uh, the uh, the remake of Shabzai Tzvi, the Jacob Frank uh, uh, saga, saga um, which was a whole crazy story in Eastern Europe, and the Frankists. So Siget Jews were, many of them, I mean, there wasn't that many of them altogether, but some of them who lived there were followers of Jacob Frank. They were Frankists. So that's an interesting origins to the community. Uh, as the community developed, they built uh, several shuls or several subdivisions in different neighborhoods and different styles. There was the old shul, the central shul. Later on, there was the what they called the Sfard shul or the Vizhnitzer Kloys, which still exists. It's a, still a, I think it's still an operation for whatever Jews are there or whoever visits. I think it's still actually a, a shul. I think partially it's also a museum. Um, there were several other shtibels as well, and almost all of them were basically built in either the late 19th or early 20th centuries. For example, if we focus on the Vishnitzer Kloys, it was built, the building that still exists, a beautiful, prominent building, it was built in 1902, but the community that davened in the Vishnitzer Kloys was established a few decades earlier. The rabbis of the town were already the Teitelbaums by now, members of the Teitelbaum dynasty, and they were the mainstream community, obviously. They were, in, in, in Hungary, there was the Orthodox and the Neologs. Obviously, Teitelbaums were part of the Orthodox community, which was understandable. Um, but the uh, Kahana family, which was a prominent family, which I'm going to get to, hopefully, and um, either now or in a part two, where you're going to have... This is, Sigurd is such a big story, we're going to have at least two parts, and if we need to, we'll have three as well. So the Kahanas, the Kahana family, who are an old, prominent, wealthy, rabbinic family in Sigurd, as well as the Vizhnitz Hasidim, and a student of the Chassam Seifer, who is related to the Kahana family, Rabbi Yehuda Modrin, um, who they separated, they all separated from the mainstream uh, Teitelbaum-controlled uh, uh, mainstream Orthodox community, and they separated from them, and they established a what they call the Sfard Kehila, or the status quo, in, in, the, in the lingo of Hungarian Orthodoxy at the time, or Hungarian Jewish communities at the time. And they later, later on, this community, decades later, appointed the religious Zionist Shmuel, Rabbi Dr. Shmuel Binyamin Danzig as their rabbi, um, and it was considered a bit more of a progressive community um, than the mainstream one in Siget. And this shul, this Vizhnitzer Kloys, was one of the main shuls right up to the war. A beautiful building. Officially, it's still in use as a shul today, although there's not much of a community remaining there. So that's just a story of one building, which is really a story of several chapters of history of Siget Jewish life, which I'm going to delve into as we go along. There were several Hasidic dynasties that had a strong presence and sometimes even the Rebbe's living there in Siget, obviously the Siget Hasidic dynasty, which was the Teitelbaums, they were the main one. But there was also Spinka Hasidim and Rebbe's living there. Vizhnitz was probably, for quite a, some time, the largest and most prominent uh, Hasidic community in Siget. Kretschnif, which is another Varna branch, and others. Um, from the mid-19th century until its destruction in the Holocaust, which is the last century basically before the war, Siget had a healthy growing population, which I 
spoke about earlier. And this led to a diverse community, a bit different than we'd imagine, because Siget is so, so, so much associated with the Teitelbaum dynasty, which is somewhat the extreme faction of Hungarian orthodoxy, so we would assume that there was not much diversity in Siget. But actually there was, and from the early 1900s, Siget was considered a more modern and progressive community. Uh, some of its Jewish residents were completely secular. Um, and even most of the religious uh, members of, of Siget, uh, Jews in Siget, were somewhat more modern and progressive. There was the old Ashkenaz non-Hasidic community, which was led by the Kahana family, descendants of the Kuntras Asfekis, Rabbi Yehuda Kahana Heller, who I'm going to get to. Um, they were actually... They, like I said, they said, they had a separate community for a time. There was a religious Zionist community, which was officially Hasidic, but not really. They were kind of associated, um, they were associated with the Vizhnitzer Kloys. They were loosely associated with Vizhnitz. Um, there were several other Hasidic communities, which I mentioned before. There was the, of course, the main one was the Sigit Hasidic community, the Teitelbaums, and also the, they were also the rabbis of the town. Now, with its destruction um, the, uh, the the in the Holocaust so it's important to frame that in context also like I mentioned before it was not very unique it was very typical of the towns of Transylvania which were all part of Romania until 1940 the Vienna Awards moves it to Hungary in 1940 and anti-semitism increases there's the drafting of males into the labor brigades but besides for that, life does continue as normal otherwise. Throughout the Holocaust, throughout the war, uh, the, these Jewish communities in Hungary are almost continuing business as usual, besides for anti-Semitic legislation and drafting of, of, uh, of, male, of adult males into labor brigades. And that all changes with the Nazi invasion of Hungary in March 1944. And Siget, like most Jewish communities in Transylvania and Eastern Hungary, they have Pesach at home, and that's the last holiday at home, and then a few weeks in a ghetto, and then the deportation to Auschwitz around Shavuot's time, and almost all are killed. But what's unique about Siget is that the community reemerges after the war, like I said. Um, but it dwindled in communist Romania after the war. So now I want to get more into some of the very prominent individuals who were... Um, much so much part of of Sigit's history, and the most prominent one in the early days was the Kahana family. Rabbi Huda Kahana Heller, known as the Kuntris Asvekis, after the very important uh, um, sefer that he wrote, born in 1743 and lived till 1819. He was the oldest brother of his more famous brother, um, who was his younger brother, Rabbi Aryeh Leib Heller, who was the Ktsoisachayshen. Um, so the Kutras Asvekis is the older brother, and they came from an important rabbinic family in Galicia, Poland, and the Kutras Asvekis, Rabbi Yehuda Kahana Heller, worked in business, and then he taught in a cheder, and he was friends with, with Rabbi Yosef Ta'imim, the Prima Gadim, and later corresponded with him. Later on, he lived in Lvov, which is Lemberg, in the Austro-Hungarian Empire for a time. He assisted his younger brother, the Ktsais, in publishing the Ktsais, in publishing his magnum opus, the Ktsais HaChayshin. In the meantime, he had worked on his own unique commentary to the Shach's Sefer, Shach, the Shapsi Kayin, earlier, who lived 150 years before that. Shach had a Sefer, Takfa Kayin, and he wrote a commentary on it regarding the Halachas of Sveikis. This, this Reb Yehuda 
Kahana Heller, which he intended to publish together with the Shach's aforementioned work, and he titled it Kuntras Las Vegas. And he ended up publishing it as an addendum to his brother's Sefer, the Ktsais Achayshin. And subsequently it has been published on its own as well, by his descendants and later on. And that's how he's remembered in the yeshiva world, which continues to study his Sefer and revere his Sefer until this very day. What's not as well known is the continued trajectory of his life and career. In 1802, he was appointed by part of the Sigit uh, community as their rabbi, after he had served in a couple of other smaller rabbinical positions in other smaller towns. Um, there was actually a dispute in Sigit in 1802, because another faction of the community preferred Rabbi Nachem Mendel Stern. And it ended up being a whole to-do. But they managed to work out a compromise in which Rabbi Yudekana Heller served as the chief rabbi of the town, while Rabbi Nachem Mendel Stern was the Avbezdin. And, uh, and Rabbi Nachem Mendel Stern outlived Rabbi Yudekana Heller, so he succeeded him upon his passing as rabbi of the town. He got both positions. And the Kuntras Asveikis, Rabbi Yudekana Heller, was a popular and charismatic rabbi, leader, and was known throughout the region of Marmarush, He's historically significant because he was the first major rabbinic figure, or one of the first major rabbinic figure in this recently settled district. There weren't, like I said, there weren't that many Jews who ever lived here. It was a relatively newly settled area, and here, this very prominent individual, he kind of like put it on the map. He, he's he's like he's he's the first major uh, rabbinical figure who not just settled in Sigit but in the whole Marmarish area. It's also worth noting that he was Ashkenaz, he was non-Hasidic. So the established custom in Sigit, as well as most of the communities in the Marmarish area, were initially Ashkenaz, non-Hasidic, even before the Hasidim settled in Unterland over the 19th century with their steady immigration from Galicia and Ukraine. So that's an important fact to consider because we assume that Unterland was always Hasidic, and Oberland was the Chsam Seifer crowd. They were the ones who were Ashkenaz, non-Hasidic. But it turns out that even in areas of Unterland, especially Marmarish, were initially settled very often by these type of people, by Rabbi Yehuda Kahana Heller, and the communities that, that uh, he led, um, and, and similar people to him, that they were Ashkenaz as well. They came in, in the 1700s or early 1800s before the Hasidic movement spread, altogether, and therefore the initial communities very often were Ashkenaz and non-Hasidic. Now, he is not just known as the author of the Kuntras Asveikas. He authored another work, which was published by his family posthumously, and has also become quite renowned and popular in the yeshiva world, and that is the True Masakri, which was his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch Cheshen Mishpat. Now, he became the patriarch of this incredible a Kahana family. And Rabbi Yehuda Kahana Heller's descendants remained a prominent force to be reckoned with in Sigit and its environs, even down to the 20th and 21st century post-war in Israel and the United States. They served as rabbis, communal activists and leaders, and especially wealthy and powerful businessmen. Another thing, in, another interesting side point is that they, the Kahana family, as well as their community, community, whoever associated with them, remained, for the most part, some of them became Spinka Hasidim, but for the most part, they remained Ashkenaz, 
non-Hasidim. So there is this faction in Sigit, right up to the war, that remained religious, Orthodox, and Ashkenaz non-Hasidic, which might seem surprising given the region, the whole marmorous Transylvania region, it would, would seem surprising, but it shouldn't be surprising because it was relatively common. So this Rebbe Kanaheller had a huge family, and some of the prominent descendants and their roles in the Marmorish area and beyond is worth noting. A few of Rebbe Kanaheller's sons were Dayanim in Siget, and other were, others were rabbis in the area. A grandson through marriage, married to the daughter of his son-in-law, Rebbe Shmuel Zanvil Kahana, was the one I mentioned earlier, Rebbe Huda Modrin who was a fascinating personality. He grew up in Preshburg itself. He, he was born there. He grew up there. The Chassam Seifer was his male, and then his Rebbe. He ended up studying in Preshburg Yeshiva, and he became one of the closest students of the Chassam Seifer in his later years. Um, and at the same time, he was also close with the Yismach Moshe, the Maram Ash, other um, great rabbis in Hungary. And um, Rabbi Dumadrin lived in Siget for the rest of his life. He turned down various rabbinical positions, uh, he just stayed and studied Torah in Siget. He had a bit of a yeshiva. One of his prominent students in this yeshiva was Reb Shloyme Yehuda Tabak, who grew up in Siget. He was a student of the Yetiv Lev of, of Siget, the, uh, the, the first, uh, one of the earlier members of the Teitelbaum dynasty, who we're going to get to in part two, um, get to a lot. And he also was a student, the Yudah Madrin was also a student of the Kol Aryeh in Mad. Um, and of Rebbe Yudamadrin in Sigurd, of course. And this Shlomi Yehuda Tabak was one of the greatest rabbis in Hungary in the second half of the 19th century and wrote many popular works, including the Erech Shai, others for him. Either way, this Rebbe Yudamadrin affiliated with the Hasidic community and its customs and leaders more and more over the course of his life. There are even those that claim that the Chassam Seifer was disappointed with this development, this, uh, this tendency towards Hasidus and his prized Talmud. But I'm not 100% sure if that's true, because the Chassam Seifer passed away when Rabbi Yehuda Madden was still quite young, and I'm not sure if this tendency was so pronounced in his younger years. It's something that I have to check into further. Either way, Rabbi Yehuda was also involved in the publication of his wife's grandfather's Kuntras Asveikis and Trumas Akri, and his comments, his comments on the Kuntras Asveikis are included and studied in each subsequent publication. Now, many other Kahana... Kahanas uh, resided in Siget or all over Marmarish, wealthy, powerful. Another descendant was Tzvi Hirsch Kahana Heller, who um, published and edited an Orthodox newspaper in Siget named the Sigeter Zeitung. Another great grandchild was Reb Chaim Aryeh Kahana, who grew up in Siget. He was a student of the Yet of Lev, Reb Kassili Yehuda Teitelbaum. He was later uh, appointed a dayan on the Siget Bezdin, and his son, Reb Nachman Kahana, who also grew up in Siget, he then married the daughter of the Spinka Rebbe, and he became a rabbi in Spinka. And his descendant, descendants, this Reb Nachman Kahana's descendants, established the Kahana branch of the Spinka Hasidic dynasty. So aside from all those Kahana Spinka Rebbes, which there were quite a few of them, there were other branches of the family who became prominent and famous in post-war Israel. Some of the most famous ones who became famous in post-war Israel was Kalman Kahana, um, who was one of the heads of the Payalei Agudas Yisrael, a very prominent politician and thinker and leader, who's a student of the Chazoinish. His brother, Yitzchak Cohen, was the chief justice of the Israel Supreme Court for 
uh, a time. And one of my favorite is a contemporary. He's alive today. He's someone, uh, a great scholar. He's one of my favorite contemporary scholars. I love reading his works. Is Professor Maoz Kahana, who I cite quite often on this podcast. He's also a descendant of the Kuntras Asvekas, direct descendant. He's a Kahana till today. Um, another uh, important family at this time was the Freund family and its prominent mothers. It was another prominent and powerful family in the 19th and 20th century Siget. They were Rashi Kahal. The Rosh Kahal, the head of the Jewish community in Siget in the second half of the 19th century, was a fellow by the name of Ramosha Aryeh Freund. And he was known as the Siget the Rosh Kahal for his really decades long, it was like 40, 50 years that he was the head of the community, and he was the patriarch of a rather large and prominent family in Siget, communal, religious, and political life. He also ran the Hever Kadisha, which was quite common for the Reisha Kal to do at the time, and his children and grandchildren served as rabbis and communal leaders all across the area. For instance, Rabbi Ram Yeshua Freund was a renowned Hungarian rabbi. He also was a student of the Yetiv Lev in Siget, also of the Debrei Chaim in Sanz. He was known as a Kanoi, a, a religious extremist, and then he served as a rabbi and rebbe, Hasidic rebbe also in a few Hungarian communities. And interestingly enough, his grandson was the very respected leader of the Eidah Haredes in Yerushalayim, Rabbi Moshe Aryeh Freund, and he's obviously named for the patriarch of the family. So it can be said that the Freund, Kahana, and Teitelbaum families, those three big families, they dominated Jewish life in Siget for over a century, and many of their prominent descendants continue to be in leadership positions in the Jewish world today. So Siget has an outsized influence on the Jewish world even pre-war and also in today's post-war. So this is the end of part one of the story of the Jewish history, the Jewish community in Siget. And I will continue with part two, which will be devoted mostly to the story of the Teitelbaum dynasty. We didn't even touch on all the Teitelbaums, all the Yetiv Lev, and even before the Yetiv Lev, and the Gdushas Yantiv, that's Echaim. The Satmarav, of course, grows up there as well. And the Bayrach Moshe, and others. So part two will be about mostly about the Teitelbaums and We'll continue picking up the story in part two, which will be released shortly, in a couple of days. You don't have to wait long. So stay tuned for part two of the story of Siget and the Teitelbaums. And this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com. For questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures, you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. And I hope you enjoyed.